Hey listeners, are you ready for 2022? I know I am. And of course, we know that you have been enjoying our podcast, but don't forget we have one hour webinars, visual webinars on our website, www.ozarkinstitute.oncospark.com. In 2022, we will be bringing you a new season of webinars, so check out these titles. Introduction to ICD-10-CM, ICD-10-PCS, Surgical Guidelines and Structure, the Inpatient Billing System, Risk Adjustment Models and Policies, Make Prior Authorizations a Priority, Spine Coding in 2022, Prepare for 2023 Evaluation and Management Changes, Dissecting an OPPA report and payer guidelines. Coding vaccinations in 2022 and beyond. Wound care and repair. Fracture care and 2022 guideline changes. Ophthalmology and otology changes in 2022. And, of course, a full webinar on the 2023 coding changes. We hope you'll join us for our next season step on over to www.ozarkinstitute.oncospark.com. Hey listeners, I know you have been enjoying the show for almost four seasons. Hard to believe it's been four seasons, but here we are. We would not be here without the support of our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed the one-on-one guest interviews, the QA, and timely industry education we offer on the show. I'm sure you can imagine, this podcast takes time, effort, and resources to share with you every week. I'm humbled and grateful for the listener and sponsor interest over the past several months and the many messages received letting me know that this podcast has incrementally improved your day or week and has been inspiring. A special thanks goes out to the community for engaging and interacting with the show in many instances daily. I want to keep the podcast focused on our content that informs, inspires, and is mindful of your time. One way to accomplish this is direct listener support. Your support would help the show grow and help more in the industry. I've set up a link where you can quickly and easily support the show. The whole thing will take 60 seconds. It's www.anchor.fm forward slash life as a coder and click on the support button. That's anchor.fm forward slash life as a coder. We are asking for a donation of $5 a month, but you can contribute as much or as little as you like. If life as a coder is a part of your day or your week and you love what we're doing, support us any way you can today. You can also send us a thank you message by clicking on the message link in our show. I love getting messages from my supporters. We want to hear from you. Tell us what interests you, what inspires you, and what changes you want to see on the show. Thank you for supporting the Life as a Coder podcast. Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. Discussing your life as a medical coder, offering coding tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast. I am your host, Jennifer McNamara, and our goal today is to bring you timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. If you're a first-time listener, we thank you for listening today. 
And if you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We do have a disclaimer that our podcast series is not to be taken as legal or professional advice. It's based on my years of experience in the coding and billing industry. And my goal, of course, is to share with you what I've learned and why I love this industry. Today's episode is episode seven. We're in season four. I'm so glad you've joined me today. I'm very excited to talk today about a topic, which is what brought me, of course, into the coding world. Uh, Before I became a coder, I was a biller, billing several specialties. But when I became certified as a coder, my very first specialty as a coder was radiology. So today I'm going to talk about radiology documentation and modifiers, some of the reimbursement challenges and documentation requirements. Of course, it's very important. Everyone knows me. I am all about medical necessity. So what I wanted to start out with today is I love to talk about ICD-10 guidelines, as you know. And many of you who are learning diagnostic coding or just coding in general, you will find most of the time that when you take a course, if you take ours, of course, at the Ozark Institute, you'll find the first thing you learn in the coding world is ICD-10-CM, which is your diagnostic codes. And I always break down the structure of those guidelines because the guidelines are where it's at, guys. We have to code, of course, from the tabular. That's where the codes are. But we have to follow those guidelines. The guidelines are what help us to decide if we've chosen the proper code. We look at all those coding conventions and we remember what we're coding, right? And then we look at those official guidelines. And we know we have our general coding guidelines, has our conventions and such. And then we have, of course, our chapter-specific guidelines, and all there in Section 1. But in Section 4, how many of us are familiar with Section 4? Section 4 is very, very important. It is the Diagnostic Coding and Reporting Guidelines for Outpatient Services. So I highly recommend you read the introductory paragraph to those guidelines. But I want you to jump down to Section K. And it's titled, Patients Receiving Diagnostic Services Only. Remember, a diagnostic service is something that the provider is ordering because they need to diagnose the patient. They may have a sign or symptom, but they don't have an official diagnosis yet, right? So they may need to order something, right? And so they have an idea, they have maybe abdominal pain or they have a headache or some other type of pain or condition that is a symptom or a sign of some kind. And so they need to, of course, um, take it, have this test done, whether it's an x-ray, an MRI, whatever it needs to be done. And there are specific guidelines for those purposes. Now, it specifically says there that for encounters for routine laboratory or radiology testing in the absence of signs and symptoms or associated diagnoses, so we don't have a diagnosis or anything else that's prompting that, but it's just routine. And it happens. They have times where you have to have a routine test done. We have Z01.89, which is officially in our guidelines as a code. Tells us right there what code to use. Encounter for other specified special examination. And if it's performed during the same encounter as a test to evaluate a sign, symptom, or diagnosis, it is appropriate to assign both that Z code and the reason um, for that non-routine test, right? It's important. It's important to document all of those um, indications, right? And so it also mentions that for outpatient encounters for these diagnostic tests that have been interpreted by a physician and the final report is available to code at that time, you do want to code confirmed or definitive diagnoses. So when I was first a coder, my first coding job, 
they would give us all the radiology charges. And my job, when they started me out with, I'm glad they did start me out with ICD-10 and not throw me into the surgery world just yet. They gave me those diagnostic tests and I had to, of course, go through, I had a spreadsheet and I would go through and I would read the reports and I would, of course, document uh, my code, what I felt was appropriate based on documentation. So I was just applying ICD-10 codes. So if you're new to coding, I highly recommend really brushing up on your, and really getting good at your diagnostic coding. It's the medical necessity. It drives the bus. We know RVUs are attached to procedures and Historically, yes, providers are concerned about RVUs, especially if that's how they're paid, right, by their facility. So that's important to them. But a lot of times, you know what happens is if you don't have the proper diagnosis attached or it doesn't meet medical necessity according to the payer, right, then you're not going to get paid. There's going to be a problem there. The hospital is going to see, okay, we paid this physician these RVUs, but we didn't get paid from it. So what's our next step? And they go through that whole process, right? So we want to make sure that our providers understand and our course managers, facilities understand we uh, that we are up to date. We know those guidelines. And, you know, sometimes maybe a manager or facility director isn't a coder. They're relying on you as the coder, as the expert uh, to be aware of those guidelines, understand how to interpret them. So I wanted to just kind of highlight that. Always go to your guidelines when you're trying to justify a procedure. Um, and as we know, as I've talked about many times, LCD policies, those local coverage determination policies from CMS are very important. So always, I like to go to my local MAC carrier and I like to go there first to do the lookup. Um, and so I usually type in the code. It'll bring me, if there's a policy on it, it'll bring me there. You could also go to your encoders and type in the code and off to the right or somewhere on the screen, there'll be a little LCD button, local coverage determination button. It takes you there. Now it does give you the full um, coverage article information about that. And then it will go down and it will, of course, give you at the very bottom, the article. And it's a, it's a little A and it has numbers after it. And that's where you're going to find more specific information as in addition to, of course, the important part, all of the covered IC10 codes. And they sometimes will group them by procedure. So always make sure you're in the right group. Um, for specifically, I will go and, of course, put this in my show notes. I'm going to give you an example of one, which is the there's an actual LCD policy for breast imaging, mammography, echography, sonography, MRI, and ductography. So those are all the different types of procedures that are in this LCD policy. And then I go to the article. It gives me information about the general guidelines for submitting these types of claims to Medicare Part A or Part B. It gives me information about an ABN form, all the modifiers I may need to understand if I'm going to bill this. And documentation requirements, my favorite. Uh, as an auditor myself, that's where I go. I need to know the proper documentation requirements for a radiology service and if I'm going to audit a radiology service. So it says they're right in the policy that there needs to be documented an assessment of the patient by the ordering provider. They're ordering the service and they want to know that they have assessed the patient and it relates to the complaint that they came in for, right? They came in for this complaint of chest pain or pain in the right leg, and they're going to order this test, and that's the indication for it. What is the medical history? Yes, we don't level E&M services based on history or exam anymore, but what do we use it for? We use it to justify procedures that we're going to order. It's really important. All of those documentation elements of the chart are still very important for other things, even though we don't use them for leveling in our evaluation and management. They're all, they all have a purpose, right? 
And of course, the results. We want to know, of course, um, if we maybe perform that uh, x-ray in our office. You know, sometimes physicians do own their own equipment um, in the office. So you, of course, are in that room. They say, let's get an x-ray. Let's send you off to the tech. And then they're going to come back and go over it with you. So you go have that done. You come back and they go over the results with you. Maybe they will send you out for some other type of test. And then, of course, you will have to, um, you know, get those results later. But a clear indication of the diagnostic mammogram it mentions here specifically must be documented. You have to have the referral order. You have to know, of course, why is this being done? Who is the, of course, signed uh, provider doing this, uh, ordering this procedure? Um, It has to be a signed note, right? So that everything that is part of that note, all those orders are signed by that clinician. And there does need to be a formal written report describing all of the views completed. Uh, there, there is a formal report that will give you that reason, the description, the results, the interpretation, all of that. Now, it's very clear um, in this LCD policy what they need from you when it comes to these types of services, these mammographies, all the things that are in this particular field or in this particular uh, diagnostic test grouping. So you want to be aware of that. Um, and they say documentation must be available to Medicare upon request because if they don't agree with what you build or something wrong, they sense something is inaccurate, they will request those records, guys. They really will. And I wanted to go in further and how many of us have ever really looked at our IOM, the internet only manual, the claims processing manual. So I want to bring your attention to um, the 100.1 section. And this was revised. Of course, this is all the way back way many years ago. Um, But under x-rays and EKGs, um, there's a lot of information there. Um, And then if you go down a little bit further, um, I think it's on page 62 of that document, and I will put that in my show notes, of course. It does talk about those x-rays. It has specific documentation. So if this is, of course, furnished to the emergency room patients and specifically to this documentation. So if you work in this area, I want to highlight this specific area of the of the claims manual, what they say, right? So this is the so the professional component of a diagnostic procedure that's furnished to a patient in the hospital will include an interpretation and written report for that beneficiary's record that's maintained by the hospital. So that professional service that interpretation will be there. Now, in order to distinguish between an interpretation report of an x-ray or an EKG and a review of the procedure, there's information they've given you. So the professional component, we understand, and I'm going to go into modifiers later, but that's our 26 modifier. Um, They will look at the findings. Um, They're going to look for a complete written report that shows that interpretation. A professional service physician who is appending the 26 modifier is going to have to have an interpretation. That's part of his professional service if he's going to bill that procedure. Can't just say fracture the tibia or normal. That is not enough to substantiate the use of a professional component of that x-ray because we have to have those findings. It clearly says that if it doesn't have those items or you're having that generic statement in there, it would not suffice to be separately payable you would actually consider that part of a review of the findings that's payable through your E&M code. So let's say, for instance, you do the x-ray, you ordered it, right? 
we know with the 2021 guidelines, if you order something, you cannot count the review off of the same order because they expect you're going to do that as part of your service. It's only things you don't order that you're reviewing later that you're not separately billing, right? If you're going to separately bill a, a charge, you're getting paid for that in that charge, right? So we want to understand those differences there when it comes to um, those items that we have to be aware of when it comes to, to those things, uh, those types of services. So I hope that kind of clears things up maybe just a little bit. Uh, you know, we have to have those items documented it's important to be very careful when we do document that we have those things. And I come from an orthopedic background, of course. And so I'm always, always looking for the laterality guys. I've seen so many errors where I've seen uh, maybe a, a x-ray of the knee, the right knee, but the left knee diagnosis is attached. We always want to make sure that we don't just look at those EMR systems or those practice management softwares that have the EMR connected because the doctor is doing their order, they're documenting something, they may grab the wrong code and the code gets pulled into the note, doesn't it? The actual physical diagnosis code, the number. <laughs> and so we could be very easily saying, okay, the doctor is coding it this way. That's not the case. They're just pulling in stuff for the orders. That's all that's happening there. We have to physically go into their assessment and plan, and we have to pull documentation and our codes from their actual assessment and plan. Have you heard about OncoSpark conferences? In 2022, you will not want to miss the specialty conference series from Ozark Institute, an OncoSpark initiative. Many specialty coders ask for education for their specialty, and Ozark Institute is responding. Join them for their first conference in 2022 on February 12th for an all-day virtual experience with leading experts in the field of OBGYN services. Healthcare reimbursement for this specialty can be daunting with numerous guidelines for diagnosis reporting, surgical procedures, evaluation and management guidelines for preventative and problem visits, radiology, anesthesia, and the list goes on. This event was organized for business healthcare professionals like yourself to stay up to date on coding and billing guidelines for OBGYN services. There are complex reimbursement issues that can get in our way, but the team of experts at this conference has you covered. What can you expect? You will hear sessions on the annual wellness coding and billing, documentation for 2021 E&M guidelines for OBGYN services. ICD-10-CM and PCS guidelines, female surgery coding, global delivery, anesthesia for maternity, radiology, and how to analyze your data and analytics for your practice. There will be live giveaways. And of course, you'll get to network with our amazing speakers. That's not all. You will also be offered additional conferences from Ozark Institute, on pediatrics, cardiology, oncology, and orthopedics. So stay tuned. Check out the conference website in our show notes to learn more and sign up today. See you at the conference. There is an EMR system out there that I've used in the past that does this. And it, it is very dangerous to trust uh, what those doctors are pulling in because they're, they're busy. They're with the patient. They're just pulling codes in to close their note. A lot of times they're not even paying attention um, to the laterality. They just see knee pain and they pull it. Now, I will say not all the time. A lot of physicians are paying attention to that. They want to make sure that they pull the right diagnosis. But you get busy, things happen, and sometimes there are 
data errors. We're all imperfect. So you just have to watch those things. Don't code from the physical code, code from that documentation, that interpretation. Um, so be aware of that. Now, there are some types of procedures uh, that in the radiology section that will have different terminologies. Uh, they'll say with or without contrast, or maybe you do one with contrast followed by without. And, and so you have to know those items. You need views and you need to understand your views. That's really important. Now, I'm not here to do a full coding lesson and anatomy lesson about all the different directional terms. Um, you, of course, will want to do your own research on that. Um, there are a lot of modifiers in addition to the laterality ones, the LT, the RT, the 50. Um, so sometimes, you know, you have these other modifiers, which I want to talk about, R26 and RTC. So most types of services like that, when they have those components and you have to separate them, you have to build them accordingly. So in a typical setting, what we're going to find is we're going to find the professional visit, the 26 modifier, the professional component. The physician is going to interpret that test. So if, there were, if it was done in the hospital, the physician is going to interpret that test. Um, and, if, and they're going to, of course, report that with the 26. And the facility gets to report the TC, the technical component. Now, sometimes physician does own their own equipment, and that happens in the orthopedic office I worked in for 10 years. Uh, we owned our own equipment, the physician did, and they paid an employee, a tech, to perform that. So they got to capture the full code without the separation with modifiers. That's the full component. You don't want to bill, the same physician does not want to bill a 26 and a TC on separate lines. Um, many claims processing software, you know, edit software, they're going to catch that because their systems are designed to look at your tax ID and to look at what you're reporting and say, okay, no, this isn't, this isn't how we're paying this. So they'll kick it back. So you need to know that if you are the physician, you own your own equipment, bill just the code, no modifiers, right? That's important. If you are, you know, there are times where you might own the equipment, but you send it out for someone else to read it. It's kind of an oddball thing, right? But it happens. So really just understanding the components is really all you have to worry about. What is your physician actually doing? He is doing the professional component and someone else is doing the TC, the technical, or is it vice versa? Or is it the whole thing? Uh, there are some procedures um, in the medicine section um, that do have, um, they say, you know, that it was, of course, a they do the technical component and the professional component, but it's built into the description, right? of the CPT code. So we don't need modifiers because they separated out within the CPT code. So those are things to watch for as well. Now within radiology, I do have modifiers I've used in the past outside of those. So our 59, our X modifiers, if for some reason you're billing two different radiology codes and you have justification to unbundle them because of different scenarios um, in the documentation, or you're doing a repeat um, X-ray, this happens a lot in the hospital when they maybe the same day they want to do another chest x-ray or another repeat x-ray. Um, they want to do and compare it, right? So you have a repeat procedure by the same physician, the modifier 76, and then you have repeat procedure by another physician, 77. So those are times where you have additional modifiers that you may have to report in addition uh, to the ones we're used to, right? So those are things to keep in mind. So when you're auditing, you know, these reports and you're looking at all these things, uh, just make sure to really, you know, look at all the guidelines. What are those documentation guidelines? Go through, make sure you have, of course, the name of the study. You need to know what they're actually ordering, how many views were there, what's the indication for the, the exam, right? We you know we have a chest x-ray, 
this is how many views and this of course this is the indication chest pain typically right and then the body of that report you're going to see your findings you're going to see all of the what they found when they when they interpreted that report and that interpretation of course will be built um, if we're separating it out remember we're going to build that with a 26 and then our tech or a facility that employs that tech will report the tc component there needs to be a signature please make sure it's authenticated in our world now we have electronic authentication um, and so always look at those documentation requirements. There are specific um, authentication rules as well that you want to research and, and make sure you have well in mind um, when you're auditing these types of services. And then um, they want to have, of course, those plain films. They want to have access to those. When I was coding for radiology, we would have to sometimes look for the films um, and we'd have to make sure that we had those. Those are things that we have to know. Uh, and this is specific guidelines that we have to have uh, for those purposes. So just remember some of these basic things. Uh, one of the things that I remember from coding for x-rays and the views, the sometimes there are times where they do a minimal view, right? There is a code for the, the, the lowest code you can find is two views, right? Maybe they only did one view and that does happen. So these uh, course studies may be performed and you may have to append a 52 modifier um, and that will tell them that you, you, didn't, you did a reduced service based on the description. So that is a, a, something that you can do um, for those purposes. Uh, make sure that if you're doing um, a procedure, if you're coding a procedure and they do say contrast was, was injected, you're choosing the right code and you're understanding all of those components. Now, there are also some that will be limited or they will be, of course, um, more complete, right? You have ultrasounds um, complete and you have ultrasounds limited. And so the limited could maybe just be a single organ or a certain part of the abdomen, right? Uh, or maybe a follow-up. And then a complete would, of course, include everything, right? So you need to know what is included in a complete versus a limited and then check your documentation to make sure that you have captured all of those things um, and that it is a complete document based on the codes you are reporting. So those are some of the things I wanted to highlight. And, uh, you know, it's important that we are always matching up our documentation uh, with our codes anyway, right? And I love auditing. I love looking at documentation and comparing it to what I know and what, of course, needs to be done uh, and what, what can be, of course, uh, educated on. As an educator for OncoSpark, I am very excited that I get to, um, you know, reach out to physicians and practices. Um, and lately, we, of course, have been and looking at a lot of auditing. And I just love it. I love auditing. And if you're interested in auditing and you want to learn more about it, uh, we are currently offering, of course, the CPMA, the Certified Professional Medical Auditor course, until spring of 2022. It's an on-demand course at your leisure through the AAPC instructor program. So I really hope that those of you looking to get certified in auditing will look at that credential to advance your career and to level up. And if you are interested in learning more about our auditing services uh, at OncoSpark, please look at our show notes and contact us for more information. Let's do a quick E&M review. I know all of you heard me earlier talking about E&M and the review and the order for diagnostic testing. 
And I thought it's a great time to kind of bring in that data component of E&M services. Our favorite, right? Uh, yeah, guess again. Well, I know it can be daunting, and I'm here to help. Our team at OncoSpark, our education department at Ozark Institute, we are so pleased to offer you an upcoming E&M workshop that's going to give you everything you need to know from head to toe, from beginning to end, from 2021 to 2023, and keep you educated. But for now, let's talk about the data component. Now, there are some things to keep in mind, and I just like to really hone in on the actual table, guys. Like, this is where it's at. They did the revisions, of course, back in March of 2021. Um, when they brought those out in March, they had made some updates to some of the definitions and wording because it was a little confusing to some, especially since it was a new format for us, understanding how we calculate the data areas, that middle section. But I want to hone in. And sometimes this is really missed, the wording here. The very top in the purple bar of that chart, it says amount and or complexity of data to be reviewed and analyzed. So every, almost every single term that we find in that uh, chart, there's a definition for it. And I wanted to hone on the word analyzed. Uh, they use the word analyzed and they give a definition uh, in the definitions area of the guidelines. So they do tell us that tests that are ordered are presumed to be analyzed when the results are reported. So earlier when I said that they expect the physician or that interpretation to happen or be reviewed with the patient, they expect it to happen. So it says whether when they are ordered during an encounter, they are counted in that encounter. Tests that are ordered outside of an encounter may be counted in the encounter in which they are analyzed. So that is something to keep in mind. If you see an encounter where it includes an order for a monthly pro time, for instance, that would count for one ordered and reviewed. Additional future results, if analyzed in a subsequent encounter, can be counted as a single test in that subsequent encounter. So it's by encounter, right? Because you know you're going to have to keep doing it. You're going to do it that way. Uh, when it comes to things like your panels, remember in CPT, because it does say, you know, for a single test identified by a CPT code, right? So in some lab panels, you have a single test, meaning a single CPT code. It may have several individual tests being ran, right? But in that individual CPT code, that's a single test according to the guidelines. That's a unique test that's identified by a CPT code. So when you see on that table or it says uh, a unique test under category one, review of the, re of the results of each unique test or order of each unique test, it's referring to that individual CPT code that's identified. Now, it was there was some confusion going back to how do we understand how many of these we can report. So it says a combination of three of the following. So you can have uh, maybe three x-rays that were ordered. That's three individual tests. And that's, you can count that as three if you need one um, or you need three combination. Maybe um, you need a combination of two. Maybe you need a combination of three to get your, your data component. Um, so you need to know that, right? So if you have the one, of course, that doesn't meet the qualifications for leveling. So that would most likely fall into 
the level two category, right? Because it's minimal or none, right? But category one, that starts it out. There has to be a combination of two of the following in category one for each additional level you see. So for three, four, and five, levels three, four, and five, you have specific directions. Uh, any combination, it tells you how many of those items that are bulleted have to be combination, right? So you need to know those things. There are some unique differences with each of the different levels. You know, you things you have in category uh, one and two for the level threes versus four and five. So the difference between four and five, as we see, it's, we still have to have a combination of three of the following, but the difference between the moderate and extensive is how many categories we have to have to meet that section of, of the MDM. So if we have um, three tests, right? And we're having to choose, right? We know maybe we meet um, the qualifications for a high visit in our problems, <clears throat> or maybe we meet it in the risk. Um, and we're, we need that data maybe to be the deciding factor, unless otherwise we're going to have to, of course, downcode, right? So we have to look, okay, do we have at least two of those categories met? Can we look at our data and we have at least three of those following test you know, options available? Or did we also do an independent interpretation? Or did we also discuss the management of, of that or the test interpretation with someone? And it does say with an external physician or QHP. And of course, we're going to go back to our definitions and we're going to go to that definition. An external physician or qualified healthcare professional is one who is not in the same group practice or of a different specialty or subspecialty. And that is very clear in our definitions, what an external, uh, of course, physician or other QHP would be. Now for our independent interpretation. We remember that, right? On our previous table we had for the 95, 97 guidelines, that, or I guess it's just the one element for that, the MDM. We had that independent interpretation. And they have given us specific definition for that. It's a test where there is a CPT code and an interpretation is customary. Um, this isn't going to apply when you are reporting that CPT code on your claim. If you go back to your table, it says specifically in parentheses, not separately reported. So if we're going to independently interpret a test, maybe someone brought an MRI or an x-ray, we can't, of course, bill for that because we didn't perform it. All we're doing is providing that interpretation, right? So we're going to count that in our independent interpretation. That test they originally ordered, somebody else interpreted it originally, did the initial professional visit for that interpretation of that test. It's a different data service, right? That's, doesn't, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about 26 and TC that happened when that was done. We're talking about later, several days or months later, that patient comes back in and they bring us an MRI, like, oh, I had this done. I want you to look at it. So you can, of course, further tell me what I need to do. What, what's, what else is wrong with me, right? So you, they will review that and provide their own interpretation, right? So let's go back to our definitions. What is the definition of that? So it basically says, of course, they're going to provide that. Um, they need to specifically confirm what they're seeing in words, what they're interpreting, right? How do they see it? What do they see when they look at that report or that image? So they're going, not just going to basically say, oh, I interpreted this. There has to be specific language 
giving us details as to what they are interpreting because we already have, we can pull that determination from the previous physician who may have interpreted it. But you're using your professional analyzing, your professional service that you do as that physician in your clinic as part of your evaluation service. You are getting paid for your professional medical determination as to what you're seeing. And that's what we want to highlight as the difference there. So if you have that plus at least three orders, reviews, a combination, right, you can get category, um, you can get those two categories and justify your level five in the data section. So those are things to keep in mind. Now you also have assessment requiring independent historian, of course, in um, both sections of level four and five. And so you want to always go back and look at your definition. What is an independent historian? It's not somebody who's interpreting for a language barrier. It's somebody who cannot physically give you a history. There may be a medical condition involved like dementia or maybe a stroke. Um, or maybe they are, of course, unable to give a history. Maybe they're uh, too young to, to basically articulate that, right? So that, that can happen. And that when we keep that in mind. So that's the difference there in all of those elements. So just keep in mind that, you know, from time to time, you are going to, depending on what kind of provider you work for, your providers will have to know based on their specialty, it is very typical. These are the situations where you would most likely use your data section, or you'd most likely get a level four and a five. Most of your physicians who don't do a lot of orders or don't do a lot of um, interpretations on their own, um, don't do a, a, a lot of multiple ordering at a visit. They're going to want to spend most of their time, of course, in the problems and the risk area. So it's very rare for some of those providers to use the data section to get their level. You want to focus on documentation for those other two areas to increase your levels. For you, um, maybe primary care physicians who are responsible for ordering multiple tests, right? You have multiple CPT codes for orders for labs and and x-rays, right? Um, you're going to order these things. You can, you may have to order multiple things in order to decide what to do next with the patient uh, before you maybe refer them to somebody, right? So you have to do all those things first. Those are things to keep in mind. Look at your scope of practice. Look at what you actually are performing and, you know, for your specialty and then decide, okay, where am I best going to be able to uh, show full documentation and, and be a good documentarian? Am I going to spend most of my time here or do I really want to beef up my documentation for my problems and my risk? That's where it's really going to be, right, for you, a lot of you specialists, because your specialty, you um, are there to document and give the full picture for your specialty. So when another provider requests records or that patient needs to go see somebody else, they can pull that documentation from your area of expertise and they can see where you have given that in excellent information, right? Um, you give them everything they need to know to understand that part of their anatomy, that part of their problem. So they can, of course, work on their specialty. So think about all the things that you can do as a physician, if you're listening, uh, to improve uh, the quality of your documentation. 
and we're always here to help and, and educate as needed. Um, but again, I don't want everyone to be afraid of these guidelines. They're so needed and helpful. And I also wanted to highlight maybe um, those of you who weren't aware, um, in 2023, we know that you physicians out there and you coders um, having to explain you to physicians, they're getting confused, right? With all the guidelines, we have 2021 that came out, but we still have to use 95 and 97. Well, if you looked at the editorial panel, the summary of panel actions proposed um, for an effective date of 2023, if you remember, we talked about this in a previous episode, I'm going to bring it up again because our OncoSpark uh, initiative with our Ozark Institute, we are going to be providing education for you practices out there. So please reach out to us. We want to prepare you for 2023. We know a lot of you are getting more comfortable with 2021 guidelines. We're almost a year in, right? So where we've been this whole year, trial and error, figuring it out if we hadn't got the education previously. So don't wait to the last minute again, guys. Let's get prepared for 2023. Now, when you looked at those revisions, those updates, were you surprised to see an accepted deletion of codes 992171819202425262? I mean, I was shocked getting rid of my OBS codes, um, revising the 21, the 22, the 23, revising those inpatient codes. And maybe you're speculating at what the purpose of that might be. Well, that remains to be seen, right? But effective January 2023. It says that those, of course, are going to be revisions. They're going to revise these codes. So be prepared to see those deletions and know that's coming. And they, of course, accept a deletion of our outpatient consults, our inpatient consult codes, 4-1 and 5-1. And they're going to revise the other outpatient inpatient consult codes and revise the guidelines. So that will be interesting, y'all, to see how they revise those consultation guidelines. I'm also interested to see if after all this time, you know, it's been about, little, about 10 years now or, or more since we had the Medicare consult rule. So in the back of my little mind, I'm thinking, okay, is this something that Medicare might decide to change or uh, maybe look at these revisions, whatever they might be. Well, that remains to be seen, but I'm really looking forward to seeing those uh, those changes. And there are going to be revisions to our ER codes, our, evalu- our emergency uh, department guidelines. Um, there's going to be revision of those codes and revision of those guidelines. Are going to be some deletions in the nursing facility services. So as we see, there is an accepted deletion of 99318. Uh, effective January 2023. So always keep up to date on your um, AMA editorial panel actions uh, when they, of course, every month when they have those uh, meetings and they they post those actions, always look at those. And there are other items that might affect you as well that might be in, of interest to you in other areas of the guidelines. And um, then they mentioned accepted revision of the E&M management guidelines to reflect changes in tabs 6 through 10 as appropriate and deletion of the subsection regarding concurrent care. Revision of the MDM table, guys. So when they say revision of the MDM table, it says accepted revision. So they're going to have further revisions coming in January 1st. So the fact that they are deleting and revising guidelines for other code sets will lead us to the other codes that are coming. You know, it's something they did gradually, I think, and we're going to have more information come out. Uh, but please keep up to date on that and, and understand that things will be changing. We are going to have to learn to 
stay, of course, in the loop and keep on our toes as things come out. Information is fluid these days. As we know, with the PHE, things are constantly changing. So we have to keep up to date and be on our on our feet and our toes and, and be, of course, uh, willing to accept those changes as they come. So I hope this little update and review of this data section and the up, upcoming guideline changes will be of use to your practice in the future. Well, I thank you for joining me today for this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast. And it's always our goal to inspire and educate. You know, I always say knowledge is power. Do not give up on coding. Keep learning and keep growing. This has been Jennifer McNamara with Life as a Coder. I want to thank you, our sponsors, uh, OncoSpark, and our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fast with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by your friends at Ozark Coding Alliance. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We really appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other coders, students, and professionals just like you. Come back every Wednesday for a new episode. We'll catch you then. Project Resume can make your medical coding dreams come true. From resumes to interview skills to navigating a successful career, Project Resume has the advice you need from coders you can trust. See all that we have to offer at projectresume.net. Be sure to reference this podcast when you place your order. I want to thank our sponsors over at OncoSpark for designing a platform that streamlines and standardizes the authorization process. As we know, the barriers for practices and patients due to prior authorizations are a clinical and a clerical issue. This new tool, Authparency, optimizes staff and resources while decreasing the time that a patient must wait. This platform will seamlessly integrate with your practice management system and your electronic health record, alerting you to expiring authorizations or order changes. Authparency's reports can also be used for internal development as well as payer and pharma accountability. Direct insurance verification and specialty pharmacy hub enrollment are standard modules in the platform too. So jump on over to oncospark.com. That's www.oncospark.com and look at their technology solutions. We're also going to put the information in our show notes. Schedule your demo for Auth Parency today and get started with this amazing tool.